buildings now. There's cars toppled, buildings entirely crushed and crumbled. I'm not sure if it's safe to report from my vantage point. I I really need to leave. So the fences inform me that the surrounding areas are, are in ruin. I I see some people running now. And the opinion of this reporter, if this nation, or in fact the world, ever needed heroes, that time is now. That time is now. Exciting episode of the Fire and Water Podcast, the official podcast of AquamanShrine.net and FirestormFan.com. I'm one of your hosts, Eardy Mobile Shag from Firestorm Fan. My friend Rob Kelly has the week off. They're doing some renovations or refurbishing, I guess I should say, in the Sistine Chapel, and he was brought in as an artistic expert. So, in order to not bore you with just my rambling, I decided to bring in a guest host this time. So, I scoured the internet. I said, you know what? I need to find a young gun, someone who's sort of new in the podcasting world, hasn't been around too long. You know, maybe take an opposite approach because fire and water, you know, opposite things. I'm a DC guy. Why don't I bring in someone who represents Marvel, someone who's new to the podcasting world and is a little bit feisty? So I reached out to some of the nation's best podcasters, and unfortunately, all of them were busy. So what I'm stuck with is our old friend Diablo Frank, ladies and gentlemen, who's here with us today. How you doing, Frank? Uh, doing well. I think it's interesting that Rob's at the Sistine Chapel, so you go to Diablo. <laughs> I'm like your backdoor friend. Your man, man's out of town, so look who's here. It's the devil himself. And, and I like, like, too, that you didn't want to have your own boring rambling, so you brought me to do the boring rambling for you. Exactly. Exactly. So, folks, if you're not familiar with Diablo Frank, then clearly you're new to the show. He has been probably our most consistent commenter and most often detractor from the show. Uh, verbal jerkwad, really, on the comment threads. But he's also the host of his own podcast now. He is doing the, was it the Marvel Superheroes podcast? Is that how it's the title? That's correct. Yes, the Marvel Superheroes. Well, t- tell the kids at home about your show, real quick. Uh, it's a show, and I, I don't want to call it my podcast. It's very much uh, the three of us. It's myself, uh, Illegal Machine, and Mr. Fix-It. We've all been friends for the better part of 20 years. We all met through comic shops um, that I managed. And we all get together and curse a lot and are very bellicose and talk a lot of shade about Marvel characters, or more often we throw in shade at DC characters too. So, 
<laughs> so it's a fun show. You should definitely check it out. It's part of what the Rolled Spine Network. Is that right? Uh, we haven't gotten a point of doing a network yet. I've got this little nerdy, nasally solo show devoted to Martian Manhunter that's taking the place for the late lamented Idlehead of Diablo blog. Um, so if two shows are a network, uh, it must be talking about the Ultraverse. Oh, snap! Give people a URL or something where they can look you up. Uh, you can go through uh, Blogspot's Marvel SHP dot, uh, blogspot.com, or more likely you should just put in Rolled Spine Podcasts. It, actually, we've, we've seemed to dominate the term Rolled Spine at this point, but play the podcast and you should go directly to us. We're actually available through the Internet Archive. We're on iTunes. We're, we're trying to get all up in y'all business. There you go. All right. So if you want to hear some people talk some absolute ridiculous, idiotic nonsense about Aquaman, uh, you can do that too. So hey, they, they, I- they they do that sometimes. I'm the Aquaman defender, okay? I'm, I'm the guy who's who's holding the line for you folks over here at the Fire and Water podcast. It's those <laughs> other guys that think that Aquaman is a complete joke that's been made fun of in popular culture for the last 40 years. Not me. All right, fair enough. You've just redeemed yourself in Rob's eyes, I think. No, so. I'm pretty sure that I did some sort of a subtweet there just to zing poor Rob, who isn't here to defend his beloved character. <laughs> but truth, truth to tell, I do very much love Aquaman. And if Rob would actually have me on to do an Aquaman podcast episode instead of us going completely off topic with a completely unrelated character, you know, I might be a little more of a proper defender. <laughs> Well, we'll just see how that uh, how that hook goes. See if you baited that hook well enough. Yes. So we are going off the reservation a bit. It's uh, well, I mean, it's still in our wheelhouse. It's still along the lines of what we cover here at Fire and Water. But yes, we're going to be talking about Blue Devil. Oh, is that for me? DC's most dynamic new superhero, apparently, which is what Frank's trying to get out, but he can't freaking say it. So we're going to talk about the specifically the Blue Devil 16-page preview that appeared in, wait for it, on target, on tangent, Fury of Firestorm, the Nuclear Man, number 24. See? See? It all works. To, it all comes around. It's all a circle. It works together. Except for the part for- that you decided to do the episode like 10 months before you're covering this particular issue, so there's going to be all sort of chronal inconsistencies. Where there's going to be red skies turning up when this podcast goes out. Could be. Could very Actually, well there's be. A, there's a red sky so, on the preview right here. Man, they were really anticipating us, apparently. It is red skies on the preview, isn't it? Well, Frank and I are both uh, fans of classic Blue Devil. We're talking the Dan Mishkin, uh, Gary Cohn, Paris Cullen's classic Blue Devil stuff. We've talked about it off and on for years, but I wanted to actually do some podcasting about it. Now, there are two gentlemen at home who may be listening, you know who you are, that are thinking about launching a Blue Devil podcast. If you guys don't get off your butts and get it done soon, Frank and I are going to go, uh, we may turn this into a thing. What do you think, Frank? Hey, I'm, all, I'm down for Blue Devil. I, I, I'm, I would actually go the full distance. You were see, talking all, like, intimidated by that prospect, so. I'm talking, I would, mini, I'm I'm talking really, miniseries, just because hey, of, I got too many, you know, irons in the fire right now. But these other guys, I'd much rather these other guys get going on it so I can listen to it rather than have to record Record it, but no kidding, and talk, right? talking to you is a pain in the ass. So absolutely, it's just like me. I started that podcast with with the guys because I kept waiting for somebody else to to give me a call, and the phone never rang. And finally, I just gave up, and we did it on our own. And now <laughs> I have to edit the damn thing like a schmuck. I couldn't con somebody else into doing it. <laughs> Why do you think I let Rob do most of the editing on this show? So. Oh, poor Rob. Yep, yep. Stop so, being, all right. Stop, pe- stop, stop picking on Rob. I'm going to be the Rob defender now. Someone has to. 
<laughs> it's not really worth much of a job. He's but. a sweetheart. Leave him alone. All right. Well, before we get any further, we do need to take a moment and thank our sponsor. Folks, the Fire and Water Podcast is sponsored in part by In Stock Trades, your best online source for trades, hardcovers, and other collected editions, all for up to 45% off with free shipping for orders of $50 or more. I'm going to kick us off here. I, I tried to find something a bit on target. There is no collected edition of Blue Devil yet. Uh, it is coming, supposedly, in early 2015. We're going to get a Showcase Presents, woohoo, with the early issues of Blue Devil. But in the meantime, probably the only other really good Blue Devil stuff out there was in Bill Willingham's Shadow Pack series. So right now on in-stock trades, at least at the time of this recording, I can't promise you when it's released what the prices will be, but at the time of this recording, you can pick up the first three trade paperbacks for Shadow Pack uh, at very discounted prices. They, they all, all three of them, the first one covers the first five issues, the next one covers issues four and nine through 13, and the final, and the other one collects 14 through 19. Anyway, they, they all normally go for $14.99. They're all 168 page, or I'm sorry, the page count does vary, but they all go for $14.99. Right now, you can get them for 45% off. That's $8.24. So you can get all three of these things for about $25. Well worth your time and money. You should absolutely pick them up. Um, I, I assume you don't I have thought, one, Frank. So no, I'll go. I, I, I thought that you were going to do a plug for Blue Devil appearance. I, I remember when Hellboy appeared in those Shadow Pact comics, but I thought you were going to do a Blue Devil book as well. There, there is no Blue Devil book to do out there. You missed the joke. Bill Willingham was writing Blue Devil as though he were a Hellboy in those comic books. Oh, was that supposed to be funny? No, no, I guess not, apparently. I totally missed it. Okay. Yeah. So anyway, no, actually, I do have a book uh, available. I wanted to try to find something that captured the spirit of Blue Devil, but in a modern context. So I thought maybe Empowered by Adam Warren would be a good choice. It was actually, it was it started out as a series of bondage-themed comic strips that he would mail out to his uh, message board groups or his email groups, and the character develop more and more of a personality and he gained more and more sympathy for this person that was constantly stuck in these superhero bondage situations and what ended up happening is he developed an entire Kirby-esque universe of characters around Empowered. <laughs> you, you said developed Empowered. <laughs> Empowered, yeah, good combination <laughs> there. Um, but the character is very human, very lovable. Uh, she's an entertaining heroine who becomes more and more capable as the series progresses but what's especially fun is not only is it funny and sexy and smart but the universe itself is so much better developed than virtually anything else out there, especially in independent comic books where people tend to be a little bit more narrow, you've got an equivalent to any superhero universe in this one book. So if you want to read a book that has the richness of, of a universe all in one place, and the first volume is 248 pages, the cover price is $16.99, Instock Trades has it available for $9.85, 42% off. It's $9.85. You were going to spend that at Starbucks. Go get an empowered book. I'm just impressed that you brought a uh, in-stock trade solicitation. Take that, Bailey. Well, so. make sure to get one that has a parental advisory sticker on the cover because, you know, <laughs> that's how I roll. You got to keep to form. You got to keep to form. So, all right, folks, be sure to check out in-stock trades, your best online source for trades, hardcovers, and other collected editions. Again, all for up to 45% off with free shipping for uh, uh, orders of $50 or more, which I, in fact, took advantage of myself this week when I ordered three volumes of X-Men Forever, the Untold Tales of Marvel Comics, and a uh, the Secret Society of Supervillains Volume 2. Yeah, I kind of got ripped on that. Did you pay full price for it or something? No, I, I got the first volume when DC was still soliciting it as though it was going to have all of the contents of the aborted Showcase Presents. Super uh, so I thought I was going to get everything in hardcover, including the stuff from Comics Cavalcade that had never been printed before. And then I get the hardcover, and it's only half the book. So I, I've, I've always kind of held that against DC. But it's probably about time I got on there and ordered it and had my complete set. i got to get my Captain Comet fix. <laughs> yeah, because that's what everyone needs is Captain Comet. Captain Comet's well, awesome. We're, we're, uh, Captain Comet podcast coming in 2015. Boom. 
done. Bring it. I'd like to see that happen. <laughs> so Blue Devil. All right. So Blue Devil appeared as a 16-page uh, bonus preview in the middle of Firestorm number 24. And uh, you know, what? should we do the recap first, or talk about sort of Blue Devil in general? What do you think? Um. Well, I mean, it's an introduction to the character, so let's do the recap first, and then we can go into greater discussion afterwards. Since they'll okay. already sort of be getting wading into the character at this point. Perfect. I mean, okay. uh, what, how many of you guys read Blue Devil? Show of hands. Oh, that's right. I can't see you. Okay, moving on. Lots of them. So the opening splash is basically a cover within the comic. They've developed a cover for the 16-page 16 16 preview. It is the laid out like a cover. It's got the DC bullet. It's got the little Comics Code Authority. It's even got like the little where they used to put the numbering and everything and the, the little call-out box in the bottom where they had the barcode. It's really well done. So it's a shot of Blue Devil leaping up into the sky. You know, his rocket tried and flying him. And he's going to attack the trickster who has a stylized fisherman pole and has the wire wrapped around Blue Devil. And this is DC's most dynamic new superhero blue devil the costume makes the man man what a costume so as the story opens you're getting two very different perspectives of two individuals each are reading the same magazine article the article is about a stuntman and special effects artist named dan cassidy who's created a very unique costume and trident for a horror movie called blue devil and this exoskeleton increases dan's strength and his acrobatic ability the trident has like a rocket propulsion which allows him flight and all kinds of gimmicks and the two individuals reading this magazine, one is a rival special effects artist named James Jesse, and the other is a young boy named Gopher, and Gopher's actually sitting with Dan Cassidy. These two people that are reading are not together, but they're reading the same article. James Jesse decides he wants to steal the costume. Meanwhile, Gopher is really excited about the article, and he's sharing it with Dan. Then we meet the supporting cast of, of, the, of the comic. We meet movie producer Marla Bloom. We meet lead actors Wayne Tarrant and Sharon Scott. Marla wants Blue Devil on the set in costume for a photo op. Dan says he's way too busy because he's tinkering away with the device. You get a sense that Dan is a tinkerer. He likes to fiddle with the costume and the mechanics behind it and all the servos and all that. So Wayne is forced to go against his will to go put on one of these. Uh, they have like an unpowered mock-up suit. So he has to go to the photo shoot in that. And, and during this scene, we sort of figure out that Wayne is a washed-up actor. I'm guessing, you know, probably soap operas or whatever. But he's a washed-up actor, and he's lucky to be in this Blue Devil film at all. And we also, uh, and, and when we're introduced to Sharon at the same time, we find out Sharon is harboring a crush on Dan, and she rejects Wayne's sort of pathetic advances. So during the photo shoot, Wayne's sort of acting all goofy and stuff, but he's wearing this non-powered suit. Sharon's providing sort of the B actress screaming, ah! You get the sense that this Blue Devil movie is a pretty low production type film. Anyway, about this time, James Jesse shows up, comes into the set. He's revealed to be the trickster. So if you don't know your flash rogues, you may have been surprised to find out this guy's actually the trickster. He uses this stylized fishing pole, and he hooks Wayne in the Blue Devil costume and takes off flying with him, capturing him. He's intending to steal this technology for himself. He doesn't realize that Wayne's wearing this mock-up fake costume. Gopher comes in and convinces Dan he's got to use the real Blue Devil costume to go save Wayne. Flies up there. There's several pages of Trickster and Blue Devil exchanging blows and gimmicks. It's a lot of fun. In the end, Blue Devil prevails by breaking Trickster's glass jaw. And then while Wayne uh, is being untied, Trickster gets away. Everyone's pretty impressed with the performance of the Blue Devil costume, except for Dan. And uh, he's off to go tinker with it some more. And that's how it ends. And you get a great uh, sort of tease with a big full-page splash, and it's got this huge shot of Blue Devil, and there's all this cool iconography behind him, which are all hints from the first episode, first issue. And it says, if you think you've got the Blue Devil figured out, we think you figured wrong! And you'll see why when he bounds into his own sensational series later this month, as one reluctant hero and one real-life demon meet head-on in a cataclysmic confrontation, which will change Dan Cassidy's life forever. 
So, uh, and I, while I was flipping, by the way, I accidentally stumbled upon the uh, Remco ad for Arak and Warlord and Hercules and Demos and Mikola and Majeste. I love it. Available at Kmart. I own Sorry. most of those figures. I was like, in matter of fact, I still have my Mikola in in a box here at the house. Ah, in Mikola, the box? Why? Mikola, no, no, no. I mean, in a in a box where I have my toys. Oh, okay. Uh, I thought you meant yeah, like you know, no, stored away. Mikola was one of my favorite action figures as a kid. So, and I really? still have the original one that I bought back in whatever '84, I guess it was, and I still have love for that figure. It's great sculpt. How funny! What is it? What is Mikola from? Is he from? Uh, he, is he from Warlord? Yeah, he's from Warlord. If I remember correctly, he was a uh, a Russian pilot who found a. a or he was a Russian anyway, and he found his way into the Lost World of Skartaris. And I think he was also a werewolf. And Oh, yeah. I remember him from Who's Who. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, he doesn't look anything like... The figure doesn't look anything like the actual character. He has a feral quality, too, with big bushy eyebrows and fangs and stuff. So he was like the Wolverine of my He-Man action figures. There you go. That'll work. <laughs> so what do you think of this preview? Well, you know, the funny thing is, is I've been a Blue Devil fan for most of the character's existence. The way that mm-hmm. I got Blue Devil comics was I would go to a flea market where somebody was reselling the... I think there were 50-cent comics, and they were selling for probably a quarter... And I ended up buying much of the early run through those means. But one issue I'd never had was number one, and I also never had this issue of Firestorm. So, like, for instance, when the Trickster turns up later on in the series, I was like, wait, when did they meet before? I knew he wasn't a number one, and I didn't realize that this preview existed for quite a few years. And I bought this comic. I don't know when I bought this book. I think I was buying a bunch of Firestorm books that I still haven't gotten around to reading from the shop. Sorry, but they, they, and they were like a buck a pop as back issues. So I bought them all up, I put them in a box, and I've yet to read any of them. So despite being a fan of Blue Devil for decades, I finally read the story earlier this week for the first time <laughs> ever. <laughs> okay. So uh, your perspective as someone coming to it fresh, what do you think? Well, the first thing is that pinup at the back of the the preview is Mm -hmm. magnificent. I love it. It's so detailed. It's a little bit more menacing than the series would, you know, it looks like the series would be more menacing than it actually is because the character looks more fierce. Mm -hmm. But it's it's so intricately drawn. Paris Collins really went to town on this. It reminds me a lot of Art Adams, the way that this is drawn. And that would have been a great front cover for the first issue or for this preview. The cover they use on the actual preview is funny because it's... It's sort of an awkward positioning of the characters. It's a good second or third issue cover, but for a brief preview, it seems off. And also, you get a really good view of that big blue butt of Blue Devils. I, I just did that plug for Empowered, and it's nice that, I guess, equal time cheesecake in this particular instance. <laughs> I can see what you mean. It does look like an issue two or three, because you're seeing you're, you're not seeing much of Blue Devils' front. That's a good point. Also, it looks like they're in London. Why, why are they charging toward Big Ben when it's a Hollywood production? Well, it's a, it's a set, probably. Oh, good call. Nice no prize. Oh, wait, wrong podcast. But but if you read the cover in traditional sort of Z format, you know how you read from like a letter Z, you read left to right, then diagonal, then left to right? You, know, you get to Asia, Trickster yeah. pretty early, though, in that. And he was certainly more well-known than Blue Devil at this point, so maybe that was on purpose. Although Trickster's tiny, though. Maybe not. I don't know. I do like that cape, though. They do a nice, dramatic, solid black cape. Looks cool. You know, I, I'd have to do some research. I, I tried to do some research on this ahead of time, and I could not find the reference. But in my memory, I could have sworn I had heard that the preview was done after number one. Like, they did number one, and then they said, we want a preview, so they had to do the preview afterwards, I think. That wouldn't shock me, and I, actually, I kind of like that anyway, because you really want to put as much bang in that first issue as possible. But yeah. you had those zero issues that came out in the 90s where they could fill in some of the backstory they didn't have room for in the early issues. And I think that that's what they were doing with these previews as well, is give you a chance to kind of look at what you've done and go, 
you know, I wish we'd done this moment or I wish we'd done that. And there's a lot less pressure because while you're exposing a new audience to your creation, they're not having to pay for it. It's a free 16-page preview. So you can kind of ease people into the concept. You don't have to, like, blow their minds right off the bat. And I like that this kind of gives you backstory on the Blue Devil character that you didn't get from the early issues that enrich the character. Oh, yeah. It certainly does. So you still haven't shared your opinion yet. Well, I I like the story fine, but I did have a few issues with it. I actually was, even knowing that the trickster was going to be in the issue, I was somewhat confused at the beginning of the story as to who was talking. I just thought that maybe Dan Cassidy's hair had been miscolored. It didn't occur to me that it would be James Jesse who's reading an article the same time as Gopher's reading an article. And I I liked it, but it's one of those things where I had, I read a page or so and then I had to go back and realize what it was that I was reading. But I I liked that. I thought it was an entertaining idea. It It was an interesting way of coming at a new story. Cassidy doesn't have as much to do in this story as I would have liked. I don't feel like I got to know him as well as I would have wanted to if I had never read Blue Devil before. But I'm digging those great big brown lamb chops he's got. I like. Oh yeah, they're sweet. He's just he's so a product of of this time. You can still get away with that. He looks like the kind of guy if he's a tech guy and a stuntman. These are not guys who let go of their styles very easily. So I could picture him doing because he was a stuntman as well, wasn't he? Yes, he's a stuntman and 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 a special effects guy. Yep. So I could picture him, you know, thinking that was cool in 1978 and still wearing those lamb chops in 84 and maybe not getting as many women from it, but not quite willing to let it go just yet. Well, I love the rolled up shirt where he's, he's wearing like a short sleeve shirt or maybe it's a long sleeve shirt that's rolled up, but it's like halfway over his guns and his guns are just really kicking right in that, yeah, in dude, that in page two. And, and that is actually something else that I had a little bit of trouble with too is, and maybe it was because they didn't know where the series was going to go from this point, but it, it occurs to me that the combination of FX, Maestro, and Stuntman is a bit perhaps excessive like he's almost like too much of too many different fields that he's working in it's one of those things that only ever exists in fiction rather than in real life and it's kind of a shame that dan wasn't just the stunt man because if you've got a situation like with iron man the guy has to create his own suit it's important that he does his own thing but with blue devil really the series is defined by this guy being trapped in the suit and how he deals with this world that he thought was scientific and is in fact you know somewhat governed by supernatural elements and have an fx guy as another one of the supporting characters because dan doesn't do a lot of tech stuff in the rest of the series i don't really remember him doing a lot, aside from working on the Trident a little bit and kind of trying to jazz that up some, but most of what he did was related to mysticism, and since he's trapped in the suit, he doesn't have to be this big, strong, you know, superheroic build going into the suit. The suit could do that work for him. So they actually could have played him more lean, more, you know, more of a, of a, of a common man, where he's already somewhat idealized at this point in the story. You make a good point. He, uh, him being a tech guy is really only important in, in the preview in issue one. It's very, very rarely is it ever important again. So that, that's a good point. He could have just been the stuntman and they could have had a supporting guy as the tech guy. That would have been interesting. That would have given um, you know, someone like uh, um, Norm something more to do if he had been a tech guy too, not just the cameraman. Because Norm, while Norm was a great character, he didn't have a lot to do in the series. Yeah, it made sense for the cameraman to be a supporting character while the movie was filming. And then I think eventually the series moved on to a sequel, but it was much more forced in other instances where if he were the tech guy, if he were having to try to work out how Dan gets out of the suit, if he were working on the tri and tweaking it, it would have given him more to do. So I agree with you there. Now, I will say you were a fool for not realizing that James Jesse was a bad guy and not Dan because the way this first page is laid out, the way it works, guys, is, again, I, I mentioned in the recap, they're reading the same magazine article, Gopher and Jesse, and down the middle are shots of Blue Devil doing acrobatics, punching through walls, taking a hit from a car, and on the left-hand side is shots of James Jesse reading the article, having very negative comments. On the right-hand side is Gopher having very positive comments. So it's, it's a really nicely laid out thing. You read Jesse, you see Blue Devil, then you read Gopher, and then repeats three times. 
So the reasons why you should have got that Jesse was the bad guy is because he's saying negative things and he's smoking. See, the smoking, there's something here about smoking because Jesse is smoking and Gopher is putting the straw in his mouth. There's some sort of parallel there. I'm pretty confident because even then the full page splash where it shows them split reading the magazine, James Jesse, there's an ad for smoking on the back of the magazine as well. Well, here's the thing. With Blue Devil, I think the first issue I bought was either two or three. And so by that point, you didn't see a lot of Dan Cassidy anymore. He was just the Blue Devil. So True. I wasn't 100% what Dan Cassidy looked like coming into the story since I'd seen him so little. Yeah, okay. All and right. Excuses, sort of, excuses. Yeah, he's sort of an everyman type character. There's a little bit of a Ben Grimm quality to him. So him smoking would have been an option. You could do that back in the 80s and not be a villain. I suppose so. I will say the biggest thing for me with the preview is uh, there's one thing I feel let down about, and that's the inking. Pablo Marcos did the inking. I believe Pablo inked the first issue as well. I can't remember. But for me, the the, the inker for Blue De- the, the art team for Blue Devil is Paris Collins with um, Gary, Gary Martin. Martin. Yep. Is that right, Gary Martin? That yeah, is absolutely, name? Gary Martin. Gary Martin is yeah. one of the best inkers the industry ever had. I love his work. And I was absolutely going to make the same comment, is this book looks kind of brittle by comparison. Gary Martin is so rich with his inks. He really fleshed out those characters and helped to keep a visual consistency even after Paris Collins left the book. But even with Paris here, with Pablo's marking inking, it just doesn't quite look like the book I expected to be. It's like it hasn't quite gotten to the place it's going to be yet, just based solely on the inking. Mm-hmm. And it's probably true. I mean, and also, I mean, Paris was very new at this too. You know, this well, well, the preview may have been written after the first issue. Who knows? Maybe it was drawn first. I don't know. So I don't know what the uh, I don't know what all the sequence is. I'm gonna have to figure out where that was in the in my research. Um, I like the way Wayne is developed because at first, in my mind, Wayne is a sexist, cowardly jerk from the ongoing series, and that's who I see, and that's who I read about. But that's not who Wayne is in this book. I had to go back and read it a second time to realize that Wayne in the preview is not that guy. Wayne is a washed-up actor, yes. He's not sexist so much as he really wanted to Sharon to go out with him, so she rejected him, and he said some nasty, a couple of nasty things. But he, And then later on, he's not cowardly at all. In fact, he tries to fight the trickster but loses. So Wayne is actually sort of a bit of a heroic, washed-up guy in this, in this story. So I, it's kind of an interesting portrayal of Wayne that we don't really see later. I think you're giving him more credit than he deserves here. The guy gets turned down by an actress, and he's already hurling some pretty nasty invective about her being, you know, a little old to be robbing the cradle, hooking yeah. up with Dan Cassidy. I acknowledge Saying that. that to an actress, that's, a, that's one of the worst things you could say beyond bringing up words like Sal, you know? So he was pretty much a jerk, and any guy who reacts that way, oh, you don't want to date me? Well, let me throw an insult at you. Not a classy guy. So, and, you know, if you're floating in the air, yeah, you're probably going to try to find some way to get loose of, of this guy who's got you in a fishing hook and draping you through the air. So that's self-preservation. That's not particularly heroic. Okay, I, that's, that's, I'll give you that. That's fair. All right, fair enough. But later on, he's portrayed completely as cowardly. You know, so it's, I just feel like his character hadn't gone as far south as he would. So. Well, it's like when you're watching a sitcom when it's first getting started, and a lot of times they try to create character types but some element will, you know, catch with the audience, and then they'll just exacerbate it, and the character will be completely subsumed by this archetype that they become. Sure. So I feel like it's sort of the same way. Here, he's still a one-dimensional character. As the series progresses, and as Wayne kind of gets sidelined as the show, uh, series goes on, he had to be big just to show up in your memory at all. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, well Dan's they- done well. Dan is portrayed as a constant tinkerer. 
He's enthusiastic. He's somewhat of a reluctant hero, but he's enjoying what he's doing, jumping around. So I thought Dan came off pretty well. You, you're right. You don't know him really well, but you at least sort of, like you said, every man relate to him. Whereas I think the trickster really came off the best of any of the character development in this. Trickster really had a great, great sort of thing because he, he comes off here as, and as many of the rogues do, he's not a criminal per se as he's more of a crook. You know, if you understand the distinction of what I mean. Sure, sure. Well, because he's wearing this flamboyant costume, so you might expect, like on the uh, the Flash TV show, when he was portrayed by Mark Hamill, who did him sort of as a prototype for his Joker on Batman the Animated Series. He's very big and cartoonish, but I kind of like that he's sort of an everyman who's putting on this costume because it works for him, because it's part of the image he's trying to convey. But at his heart, it's just a, it's it kind of works with the whole Hollywood vibe of this series. It's a role he's playing. He's dressed as a trickster. He looks goofy, but it, it, at his whole soul it's just like look i'm here to do my job don't get in my way and then i'm gonna go home and smoke some more cigarettes yeah and he has a day job he he's a special effects guy i mean you rarely do the villains do you see they have day jobs and that's actually it, one of the worst the nastiest parts of the story is because when he first gets on the lot of uh it was it establishes Werner brothers yet in this story i don't think so i'll look that up will you keep talking okay and Werner brothers is obviously just an analog for warner brothers so in order to get on the set he has the con the security guy who has been you know keeping everybody out for years and years he takes pride in it it's mentioned in the story and so he zaps this guy and he falls you know uh falls basically toward his own head so this guy may have sustained some pretty serious damage by the way the trickster zapped him and this is a guy who knew him as james jesse they were pals they were talking you know very socially and then boom he zaps the guy what a jerk yeah, yeah, it is Werner Brothers, by the way. It is revealed as Werner Brothers. So, yeah, it's, it was very sad because you, you, he looked. The, the cop almost seems like like the Maytag repairman, kind of friendly faced, little overweight. Hey, how you doing, buddy? And then, which is like you said. So, but I, I, I like the way Trickster's developed. I think it was great that they turned him into, you know, as time went by in the series, they turned him into almost a protagonist for the series. You know, he's the mischievous character, but he's still one of the main, you know, characters of the book. So, yeah, he, like you said, he's a crook. He's not a murderer. He's not a crazy person. He's not evil. He just is trying to make ends in ways that aren't appropriate, but he has greater wants than other people. So he's definitely the bad guy. You're definitely rooting for Blue Devil, which is something that kind of got lost in comics over the years. We forgot that we're supposed to be showing heroes and showing positive role models, and we got all tied up into all that anti-hero nonsense, which, and they have their place, but it's nice where he's an anti-hero in that respect. He's doing good deeds and working with the Blue Devil, but at the end of the day, he's still a bad guy. He still deserves to get thrown in the slammer. You can enjoy him for being this you know, sort of uh, uh, more sordid character than the proper heroes, but he's still the bad guy. You're still there for Blue Devil. He's just a little extra flavoring. He's a little pepper in the mix. Well, Blue Devil, um, the way they build it was there's, there's a huge poster. In fact, I just got one off eBay not too recently where their tagline is, we made comics fun again. And that was their slogan for Blue Devil because that was, the, as you just said, things were getting darker and getting grittier. I mean, we weren't even at Dark Knight Returns and Watchmen yet, but they were heading that way. And so they purposely wanted to create a fun character. So. And, and I do – that's why I still have an enduring love for these Blue Devil comic books is that – yeah, they're they're dated, but they're still enjoyable. The, the creators are clearly having a good time. The characters are having a good time. It's a great environment to set a series in, this whole idealized version of Hollywood that never really existed. But it's such a blast to go that, to that place, to leave the place where you're at and enjoy La La Land and enjoy all the craziness. And the trickster's going to show up out of nowhere, and there's a weirdness magnet. And it's just great to just, you know— 
dive into this this material. Yeah, there's there's a fun Easter egg by the way on, on page seven uh, where he goes to grab his staff. Neberos is actually uh, like a little action figure or model of Neberos is there in the forefront. Oh yeah, which I is missed a great that. Easter egg. Yeah. Now you talk about it, you know th- being fun and everything like that. Just to give you some some thoughts, I'm going to talk a little bit general about Blue Devil. I, I have a huge passion for this character, uh, and it mainly comes from the fun. For me, the way I discovered it was I, I had a lot of friends that read comics and were more into it than I was. They were all reading New Teen Titans and New Mutants, and I felt like I had missed the boat on those books, and I didn't want to start late into it and knew there was no way I was ever going to be able to afford a copy of, you know, off the back issues of New, New Titans, number one. Or new Teen Titans, I should say. So I, uh, I was sort of sad that I missed the boat. And a buddy of mine said, well, hey, there's some new series starting that's getting a lot of promotion called Blue Devil. Why don't you give it a try? That's how I ended up starting with Blue Devil. A buddy of mine suggested it. And sure enough, I just absolutely loved it. So I, over the years, I have actually made an effort to, to really study Blue Devil and even have gone so far as I've actually interviewed the creators. I interviewed Gary Cohn and Dan Mishkin. And I did this back before the Fire and Water podcast existed. You know, maybe I'll put that audio in the thread someday. It's not very good audio uh, quality or anything like that. It's the first audio thing I ever did. But it's, it's me talking to them for like an hour and a half about Blue Devil and Amethyst. And it's really fascinating. You can find that over on Once Upon a Geek. In fact, I'll put it in the show notes if you have any interest in hearing it. Not so much me, but hearing Dan Mishkin and Gary Cohn talk about the creation of Blue Devil and, and a lot of their thoughts on it. It's, it's a lot of fun from that perspective. There's also been a couple of really great articles in Back Issue Magazine. Do you ever read Back Issue Magazine? Oh, yeah. Actually, I just ordered uh, in the, the most recent previews that I had in hand, they're doing an issue on the Charlton Heroes, so I had to snag that up. And oh, uh, well, Rob's gotten published in that book before, hasn't he? Yes, he has. Yes, he has. Well, the the mo- at least I think the most recent issue at the time of this publication is issue 77, and it's, uh, it's about when comics were fun, and there's a huge, exhaustive Blue Devil article in there by Daniel D'Angelo, and it's got lots of stuff with Gary Cohn and Dan Mishkin, and actually, I am credited several times in the article. Um, for my interviews with them and the content I published over at Once Upon a Geek. So that was kind of exciting for me. But here's some of the history on it. They, uh, Dan Mishkin and Gary Cohn were writing for DC already. And they were contacted and said, hey, basically what they were, their editor said was, Steve Ditko is looking for new ideas. Do you have any? Would you have something to do You know, the, for him to draw? And they, they got so excited. And they said, all right, let's try and find something very Ditko-esque. So, and once I say this, you're going to go, oh, of course. They tried to come up with everything they loved about Marvel in the 1960s. So when they developed Blue Devil, he's part Ben Grimm. You said it yourself. He's part Ben Grimm, the thing. He's part Peter Parker, Spider-Man. He's part Tony Stark, Iron Man. And there's a little Green Goblin thrown in there. Is that not the perfect description? Well, and Doctor Strange, too, with all the stuff with Niboros and the metaphysical elements. Yeah. Yeah, they didn't mention that, but that that was where their thought process came from. And apparently Dan's wife is from North Carolina, and Dan spent some time there, so they went with the name Blue Devil. They pitched it to Ditko, and he said, nah, not interested. And they were shocked by this. Like, what? So they still shopped the idea around a little bit. DC loved the idea for it, and they got Paris Collins involved with the thing. In fact, uh, I don't mean to keep pimping my Once Upon a Geek site, but over there, there is the original pitch they gave DC with some of the Paris Collins artwork. And, dude, it's, it's gorgeous. It is a beautiful pitch. What happened was Gary Cohn sent it to me, and I scanned it in and put it up on, on Once Upon a Geek. Um, it's a great pitch. It tells you, shows you lots of early artwork that never got published. Uh, in fact, they used a lot of it in the back issue article. But it's, it's really cool stuff. So they got Paris Collins on board. And in fact, the first issue was a lot darker than what was originally published. There was a lot more um, sort of whining and, and bemoaning being stuck in the costume. At one point, I don't know whether this made it into the comic or not, but Dan had actually contemplated suicide and things like this. And Jeanette Kahn read it, and she said, guys, this needs to be reworked. Now, ultimately, it was their choice how they changed it, but she made some suggestions. They removed a lot of the darker stuff. They removed Dan's whining, and it came out as it was in number one, and they feel like it's a much stronger issue for Jeanette's changes. 
The only real thing that came out that they didn't expect was they expected Blue Devil to be a darker blue color than he was, but they think that he got colored that way to sort of, you know, have a stronger contrast with Trickster because Trickster's got a dark blue on him. So I, I find that stuff fascinating, you know, the creation of the character and how they got to be. And he, could you imagine if Ditko had drawn him in that style? That would have been pretty interesting to see. I mean, I don't want Paris Collins to go away, but Ditko would have been fun to see him do this stuff. No, honestly, because I'd never heard that about Ditko before, to my recollection anyway. And I could picture it in my mind. He does look like a Ditko-esque character, and I'm sure that they hadn't, didn't have the design at that point. But just picturing Paris Collins' design as drawn by Ditko, it makes perfect sense, except that as Ditko became more and more involved in objectivism, he rejected all elements of the supernatural and refused to work on any characters for the most part that involved the supernatural. I think the only time I can remember him going into those areas was he did a Spectre story for one of those DC Universe, you know, tabloid or not tabloids, the thick books that they did a number of years back, but he hated any kind of supernatural elements in his stories later in his career. So it makes sense that he would reject the premise, but man, it does when you say that, it makes perfect sense. Of course all those characters are in the mix, and I love those characters, especially when they're done correctly, and these guys were obviously relishing the opportunity to relive those Silver Age Marvel qualities. Mm-hmm. I had no idea that Ditko had rejected Supernatural, so that makes perfect sense why he didn't want anything to do with the story. Fascinating. And I don't think that would have been commonly known in 1984 either, so yeah. of course you would be gearing toward his wheelhouse. I mean, he did Stalker just a few years prior to the, well, almost a decade now to think about it. But he did Stalker, <laughs> that definitely had supernatural elements, but he really rejected that kind of thing uh, as he got older. You know, it's funny, you said Paris Collins' design. Believe it or not, Paris Collins did not design Blue Devil. It was designed by Gary Cohn. The writer, who, who's an art teacher, but the drawing is, is – the art – the design he did was very simplistic. And uh, that, again, sorry for the plug. It's over on Once Upon a Geek, the original drawing Gary Cohn did to design Blue Devil that he gave to Paris Collins. And uh, when I was talking about it, I said, uh, you know, how much did Paris Collins change? And he said, only enough to make it good. <laughs> <laughs> so if you look at the drawing, all the basic elements are there, but it's nowhere as developed as Collins' look. Now, there's been a couple of cool action figures. I don't know if you get into the action figures at all, but I've bought every Blue Devil action figure that's been made. And the first one that came out was, well, I may have my order mixed up, but there was one came out in the Crisis line by George Perez. It just, it looks off. They got the face, they got the horns right, but the face wrong. And it's really hard to enjoy it because the face just doesn't look like Blue Devil. I I had to look at the figure again myself, but I remember having similar issues. I remember having qualms about that where it didn't look like my Blue Devil. It was just not right. Yep. Well, it sat on my desk for a long time because it was the best Blue Devil figure we had, you know. And then there's been some, there's been at least, at least one hero click, if not more. But that was the Shadow Pack version. Then there was the Justice League Unlimited version, which doesn't look like your traditional Blue Devil, but it certainly looks like Blue Devil from Justice League Unlimited, which is fine. And then later on, DC Classics by Mattel came out with a Blue Devil figure that looks pretty much spot on. It's really well done. The face is right. It looks like a Paris Collins drawing. The trident's right. It's That sits on my desk. So I have... On my desk, I have the Blue Devil figure, I have two Firestorm figures, and um, a couple of little tiny other things. And that makes me happy and gets me, helps me get through the workday every day. I need to get on eBay and get that DC Classics figure. It came out when I was back in school, and I just I didn't well, wasn't willing to spend $20 on the Blue Devil action figure at a time where I just wasn't making any money. But that yeah. is a gorgeous, gorgeous figure. I did manage to pick up a secondhand the Justice League Unlimited version. And you're right, it's nice, but it's in the Bruce Timm style. The Classics is so on model for what you would expect from Blue Devil based on the comics that I, I really want to own that. But I have to say, too, the design of Blue Devil 
it's simple, but it's so, so effective. The costume is is unlike anybody else's costume. Nobody has that particular combination of light and dark blue with the yellow. The horns are so well put together. I love how the horns match his facial hair. He's got pointed, like, what would you call that? Like a Fu Manchu? Sort of, yeah. And that actually is the symbol you'll see a lot. Like a, a, a what do you call it? Outline silhouette where you see the horns and you see the beard sort of thing. Yeah. And I love the big popped pointed collar. I love that he's got a sort of a double icon in his outfit. It's simple, but it's so hard to do a simple suit with as much detail as it has and get that balance right, where it still looks basic and there's not a lot of excess lines, but it's just exactly the right amount of lines to convey what you want about the character. And the earring. There's just something about that little element of asymmetry that works for a character like Blue Devil. It's a gorgeous design. So, of course, DC's done nothing but jack with it ever since the book ended. (laughs) Well, all right. I will take a bit of a different tangent. Well, I love our different point of view. I love the costume. I really, really do. And I want to see Blue Devil in the classic costume. It does look kind of ridiculous. As, as clean as the lines are, and it works when Paris Collins draws it, it's sort of like Firestorm's costume in that it's sort of ludicrous. It looks like it belongs in a circus. And I could see why they have trouble with it currently. And that's why I was okay with the shadow pack look, which is essentially jeans and a black t-shirt, you know, with that sort of blue devil blue symbol on his chest or on, on, his, on his heart. And that sort of worked. Every other version they've done has been terrible. The one in Justice League, uh, or whatever, Justice League America, where he got, you know, after Underworld Unleashed was awful. Ugh. You're right, the New 52 version is terrible. Um, so I don't know that he could come back in this costume as much as I want him to. I, I just, I, I don't know, dude. It's a little much. <laughs> Here's the thing. And it's something that, you know, the, the industry is not in the best of shape right now. And I think one of the reasons for that is sometimes we forget they're comic books. This suit doesn't work in a movie. It would work fine for animation, which is enough of a lateral move from comics in terms of what you can do aesthetically, that you can you can make that move. But sometimes a comic book character just needs to be a comic book character. And if you want to have somebody be successful, don't make him like everybody else. I made that crack about Hellboy earlier, but turning him into Chach Hellboy, where he's got a, a polo shirt and his, he's replaces the crocodile or the polo player with his old symbol. It's like you're ashamed of of the character. If you're going to do a character like Blue Devil, it's a ridiculous concept. It's made for comic books. Guess what? He's in comic books. Make a comic book. Okay. Fair argument. Fair argument. I still don't think it would work in a modern context, though. But uh, we'll see how the showcase does. I hope it does really well. Because they really can only do one. Because if I remember right, they're going to do issues like 1 through 18 or something like that. And it only goes up to issue 31. And it gets a bit sketchy the further you go in the series anyway. So I don't, I don't know if they could do it or not. I think uh, it lasted to 36. I want to say it lasted three solid years. Plus you've got the annual that's got to get in the mix there somewhere too. I think it's 31 is where it ended. But it? Oh, okay. you know what? I have it right in front of me. I'll check. And I'm right. 31. Okay. Take that and suck it. Um, now, here's some interesting stuff. They're, they were hoping to do others. Like, towards the end of the series, they were going to take the series in a different direction. They were going to introduce, like, an angel character, and they were going to do some darker stuff with it. They'd been given the green light to do it, but the sh- series got canceled before they got the chance. Yeah, I remember then, that random house ad toward the end of the series where he's fighting the Furies. And I think it even turned up in one of the DC samplers. And the characters are, like, overwrought and especially, like, classically demonic. And it didn't fit with the character, and I guess that's what they were shooting for, is they were giving it that first shot across the bow that they were going to go through that darker direction. No, that, that was an ad for issue 10, where the where the Furies came after Wayne. Oh, or I could be completely wrong. They, I, I, it seems to be the pattern this episode. That's okay. I'm used to being right. It's no big deal. Don't worry about it. Um, <laughs> then, uh, apparently, they also shopped around a Trickster miniseries. 
which would have been fantastic. They, they, they had like a five-issue Trickster miniseries in mind where Trickster was going to be sort of put in a position where one of his own idols was killed. And so he has to sort of become a reluctant protagonist and, and sort of, not, not avenge, but it's more of like they're going to put him in some, almost a heroic role, but because he was forced to be in that role. And that would have been awesome. Them do, They masterfully handled the Trickster. You know, even after, I did say earlier, I think, that once Paris Collins, le- Paris Collins left, the series was never the same. But, you know, there was that great issue with Keith Giffen where the trickster you know, stole a bank in midair, which was great. Now, I think you. I think you. You said you. How far did you stay with the series? I've got most of the issues of the run, but my uh, around issue because then he he had a, ta- a crossover with Firestorm around issue what twenty four or so. Uh, yeah, it was issue twenty three, but yeah, okay, thereabouts. And I, I made it a few months after that, and then my flea market source dried up, and I don't know that I ever really went back and bought those as back issues. I've seen them; they don't seem to have the same spark. Honestly, that that second year that I was reading wasn't as much fun as I would have liked. But I do think I liked it better than you. I liked Alan Kupperberg when he was drawing the book. I didn't actually notice a difference in the art as a kid. It didn't, it didn't even register that they had changed artists on me. <laughs> but at some point in the mid-teens, I noticed that it just wasn't quite hitting the way that it used to. Yeah. For, for me, like the first six, first six issues, if you want the absolute best, the first six issues in annual number one are unbelievable. All drawn by Paris Collins. They're all fantastic. Um, I still really enjoyed the series up through issue 10. Um, that's when, again, Keith Giffen, I think Alan Kupperberg probably had already started on the book by that point. I, I still really enjoyed up through issue 10. Uh, it's not as great. It's still enjoyable for me after that point. Um, there's some great gems in there. Like I do like issue 18, the crisis tie-in, where they ironically meet the Omega Men, um, which is ironic for me because I'm not an Omega Men fan. Uh, surprisingly, the Blue Devil Firestorm crossover is not one of my favorite stories at all. Whereas you think me, that, that would be like pure gold right there for yeah, me? For me, that was like a last raw. That was like one of the last stories I enjoyed, probably because I wasn't as familiar with Firestorm either. So all those characters from the Firestorm book, I think Multiplex was in that one, for instance. Yep, Multiplex and uh, Slipknot and Mindboggler and Hyena and, you know, this sort of Firestorm and Bolt joined them from the Blue Devil group, Yeah, from the Blue Devil villains. Yeah. So for you, that would have been all old hat, but for me, I didn't know those characters, so it was my introduction to them. So I was probably just the wash and all that Firestormy goodness yeah could be it, it it was a bit of a letdown and partially because the firestorm issues were drawn by um oh who's the artist he's not he's not my favorite is that Raphael uh, Kayanen no Raphael Kayanen would have been great it would have been absolutely great but no it's uh it's an artist that I'm not a huge fan of see if it was Joe Brozowski I would have been fine too and, and he did the covers but the interiors were done by somebody else and this is wrong okay so doesn't matter we're gonna move on I can't come up with it it'll come to me later they also thought toyed around with bringing Blue Devil back. They, they put out a proposal called Midnight Blue, which was going to be a much darker Blue Devil storyline. Uh, they, they had pitched that around. You can read about that in, in various articles and stuff. It sounded like an interesting concept, but again, a much darker, much creepier thing. Blue Devil is not really a, a, a true blue hero. It wasn't funny, and uh, it didn't really get picked up. And then finally, more recently, you have seen, probably, well, not you because you're not on Facebook, but a lot of people have seen on Facebook some pictures that Gary Cohn and Dan Mishkin and Paris Collins have sort of floated around a bit of something drawn by Paris Collins that looks a lot like Blue Devil that seems to carry the tag New Devil. And it looks pretty cool. So we'll have to see if that ever finally comes to fruition and develops. But would love to see if New Devil became a thing. 
folks, uh, I hope you, you know, it's been a, just a brief sort of whirlwind talk about Blue Devil, just that little preview. Again, there's a couple of guys out there who need to launch that Blue Devil podcast, and if they don't, Frank and I might just have to do a mini-series on it, you bastards. Hopefully that's enough pressure to make you do it quickly. And uh, anything else, Frank? Yeah, uh, three things. One, I wanted to point out that Marla Bloom really had um, Wayne's sack in her handbag, and I... <laughs> It's a shame that this was done in 1984, and for a woman to have that kind of power is still pretty uncommon in Hollywood, but i got to respect Marlo for having that action. Uh, the second thing I want to say— She had the hot hair going, too. I, I always thought Marlo was sexy as hell. She, she's, yeah, she's one of those. You know, I, I used to watch Designing Women, and I had a little bit of a crush on Dixie Carter. She's kind of in that same scope. Okay. Uh, secondly, the Firestorm artist you're looking for is the beloved George Tuska. I just found it this very second. <laughs> <laughs> George Tuska, who I've talked about before on this show because he did some Justice League stuff. <sighs> George Tuska is a fine artist, but in the mid-1980s, he was not the man to draw superhero comics. Let's just leave it at that. I kind of want to look at that again, though, because it says the inker is uh, Mike Gustavich, yeah. and that's, you know, he's of the Neil Adams school, so seeing that mixed in with Tuska, that would be, that seems like, I want to see what that looks like. You will be greatly disappointed. And by the way, that Firestorm issue would more than likely turn up in the second volume of Showcase Presents, should it happen. Yeah, that's probably true. And but I mean, you, you sit there and you got this awesome, you know, in this case, Dennis Cowan cover, the next one's Joe Brozowski cover. Really awesome covers. You're you know, Paris Cullens does the Blue Devil cover, and then you get inside, and it's George Tuska in the mid '80s drawing superheroes. Oh, yeah. So it just crushed my soul. To this day, it crushes my soul. So we were talking about Marla Bloom being hot. Right. And then, then we the got? third, well, and the third and final part for me is that if you turn a few more pages back in this comic book to page roughly 22, there's a full page ad for Blue Devil in his full glory, smiling and kicking ass. Oh, in the same comic? In the same comic, yeah. Oh, that's awesome. Oh, you know what? That looks like that is taken from the poster, perhaps. Let me see. Uh, yes, that is taken from the poster that they produced. It says, we've made comics fun again, and it even says it here in the house ad. So, yeah, that's that's all tied in together. Very it, cool. It's funny. I was just flipping through this Firestorm comic. I, I've never read it, so I figured while I saw the <laughs> ad, I'd throw that in. Well, it's, it's the issue that gets made fun of a lot because the villains are Bug and Bite. To uh, one electrical, one computer villain, which to this day, I think if, were, if they were revamped as like, you know, um, you know, I don't know, mal malware and um, what's well, see, bug, bug would be malware and bite would be megabyte. There you go. So, or, or, you know, or kilobyte, kilobyte. Oh, that'd be perfect. Kilobyte and malware. That would be it. They could do that in the new 52, right? Bug's interesting to look at because he's extremely detailed costume and he is kind of freaky looking, but he's kind of geeky at the same time. It's he's, he's right there on the cusp. He could go one way or the other, but he's drawn really well here. This is Kayanen, right? Oh yeah. This is, this is Kayanen at his, you know, with Romeo Tengal. So this is some great, great stuff. In fact, I, I love the opening because, well, we'll talk about this when I do the yeah, Firestorm. Yeah, you're a little premature there, buddy. You, yep. got, you got a few more episodes of classic Firestorm to get through first. This is still classic Firestorm as far as I'm concerned. Well, in Firestorm flashback, you got to go with the alliteration. I'm so disappointed in you, fellas. Thank you for that. <laughs> that, that, you know, that sort of sums up all of Frank's comments right there. Just that was the perfect encapsulation. Frank's disappointed in us. That sort of explains the last three years of our show. The good old backhand compliment. Love you, Frank. Mean it. <laughs> All right, folks, please, in the meantime, be sure to go over and check out the Marvel Superheroes podcast. Be sure to leave as many nasty, nasty, lengthy comments as you can. Um, all negative we, against Frank, if you well, would. Negativity and, is, is the coal that burns our fire, so bring it on. 
And where can they find you on Twitter, sir? Commander Blanks. Put in Commander Blanks. There's not a whole lot of competition for the name Commander Blanks. It's spelled with an X. You can work it out. I have faith in you as, as human beings who have evolved to the point where you can find it in a Google search. Commander Blanks. And where can they find you on Facebook and Google Plus? Facebook. Get out of here. <laughs> Fair enough. All right, folks, be sure to check out Firestorm Fan at firestormfan.com, Aquaman Shrine at aquamanshrine.net. You can find both of those on Facebook, Twitter, and Google Plus under those same handles. You can also find Firestorm Fan on Instagram and Tumblr. So, uh, until next time, folks, head over and check out the Marvel Podcast, and please continue to fan the flame and and ride ride the the wave. Aquaman and Firestorm fighting crime Yeah, you totally like swamped me with actual research. I'm usually the guy on the other end of that, so I can, I, that hurts. Oh, it's fine. Yeah, I, I, I felt the lash of your intellect. I, I'm not oh, used what to a, that's. So what, what is it? What, what do they call it on your show? You got franked? Is that what it is? <laughs> yeah, I got franked. I got, you franked, got franked by Shag. <laughs>